Thank you all. <clears throat> wow, that was that was just a special message. Thank you all for sharing that with us and and uh, being willing to serve and lead us in worship. Well, good morning again, Spring Hill. Nice to see you all today. Let's take our Bibles, if you would, and turn to the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy. Children's Church. Thank you, Brooke. All the kiddos that are going to Children's Church, you're dismissed now with your uh, leaders, okay? Y'all have a great time. We'll see you later. <laughs> Buddy, I, I got nothing for you, bro. <laughs> if I did have, I'd share it. Bye, Shiloh. Bye. All right, Deuteronomy chapter 6. We'll read that in just a few minutes. I just want to share something. I don't want to be like the preacher that said before I preach, I want to say something. So I'm going to share something else before we get into God's Word, all right? Uh, some of you all have been listening to and, and keeping up with the mission team this week. So I want to share a couple of things from, a, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a little bit more objective. So I'm on the, on the outside of this fellowship, but I've been a part of what, what the mission team is, has experienced now for over a week. And so I want to share with you just a couple of things as I, that I think would be helpful to, for you to know as a church family and, and, and a family of faith to know when they, when they come home. First of all, they've, they've seen some things and they've been exposed to some things that they haven't seen before. So it's, it's, different, it's different when you see the kind of scarcity, okay, that, that they're witnessing. It's different when you look at it with your eyes than it is when you watch it on television or see it on the news. It's just different. So they've been exposed to that and now they're going to come back to unbelievable abundance here. We, we shouldn't feel guilty. You know, you had no... Here's, here's the blessing of it all. Can I, we're just going to get real for a minute, okay? <laughs> the, the, you, had, you and I had nothing to do with where we were born, did we? Not one thing. So we, don't, we shouldn't feel real proud about that. And we shouldn't feel guilty about it. All right? So some people would have you and me feel guilty because we live in a place of unbelievable abundance. So think of it from God's perspective now, just for a moment. Let's, let's just use our, the, the brains that he gave us for a minute, okay? Um, he's much wiser than we are, right? When you give gifts to your children and your motives are pure, because God certainly are, do you want your kids to feel guilty because you've been generous to them? This means no, okay? No, of course not. Do you want them to enjoy the things that you provide for them? Yes. Do you want them to worship the things that you've given them and, and not love you? Absolutely not. So that's where we cross over into sin and pride and the things that, that are unhealthy. But I could show you in a book, uh, one, of the, one of my favorite books is the book of James, even though I, I kind of have issue with the way that it starts out. Because it tells us we should have joy when we encounter various trials of different kinds. I don't like that part. I do like the part that talks about uh, God giving things to us for our enjoyment. I love that. I wish we'd kind of preach on that more, maybe. Um, so keep this in mind. They're going to come back home and they may, they may wrestle with that a little bit. Especially teenagers. Okay, especially the, the kids that have gone because they don't have yet, they don't have a, a, a lifetime of experience to sort of, it's still hard even as an adult, it's not real easy. But, and and there's, a, there's a way to work through that. 
And there are people, you and, and your pastor and his family that have also been there. So let's let them, let, let them deal with it. Let them grow through it. Let them wrestle with it. The same way that we should, in some ways, wrestle with that. Because, again, just think of it from God's perspective now. God has infinite abundance. And for whatever reason, out of his sovereignty and and wisdom, he's chosen to bless us with a lot of that abundance. So do you think that he expects us to keep most of it or to share it because we have the freedom to share it? Well, of course he wants us to share a good bit of it. So we shouldn't feel guilty when we earn it honestly, save it wisely, invest it in a wise way. But God also wants us to be generous with what he provides. And that's what you as a church have done when you send a mission team, help give so that you... I I, I sat back in amazement at the generosity of this church family in sending your, your team, you all... You gave abundantly so that it wouldn't be too much of a burden uh, financially for them for them to go. The, the ones that wanted to go and felt like they were called to go. Um, it needs to cost us something, okay? Because the things that don't cost us anything, we have a tendency not to take them very seriously. When when David, uh, King David in the Old Testament, he gave some offering for the construction of the temple as well. That God told him he couldn't build. His son would build it. And when it came to that, David has this whole kingdom. And people wanted him to give things that belong to other people. Out of kind of the, 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 um, the national treasury. David said, no, I'm going to give out of my personal wealth. Because I don't want to give to God anything that doesn't cost me nothing. That's a wise saying right there. So God wants us to have skin in the game. Um, there are... Uh, if I could just show you what that place was like, the area that, that, that your team went. If I could just show you what it was like before followers of Jesus started to go there. Like on one of our trips, we got to go to a place like that. So there are care points all over this country near places where uh, primarily the age crisis or poverty or drought have affected in a real severe way. And uh, so I saw, when, when I went first couple of times, I was able to see um, care points that churches had sponsored, like, like the ones that our church family has gone to and worked at this week. And there is, there's, there's, there's a water well and pump and some uh, a, a building to train young people to have Bible study classes and the Older people as well to disciple them. There, there's lots of there, there's gardens that they've that they've that they've grown and actually have green vegetables to eat because you don't you don't they can't get those there if you can imagine. And then our leaders took me to a care point where no church had come alongside and sponsored, and there were just people kind of hanging out there hoping that somebody would come. And the little babies, there were, there, were, there were a couple little babies that were wrapped up and they were just, they were, they were sleeping on a concrete slab. I'm talking about a little baby, just sleeping on the concrete slab. Nobody to hold it. Parents were probably orphaned already, or the baby was probably orphaned already. I think its grandmother, it was probably with its grandmother. 
and his grandmother was busy working, trying to cook some food for a few children that were going to come. No church sponsoring it. One of the other, one of the other, um, um, uh, one of the other care points had donated some food so they would have some some meal and food just for the few kids that would come to have something to eat. Well, that's what the care point looked like where your church family went before people like them started to invest time each year. And just to give you an idea about what they've encountered, these, uh, these kids, if you've ever gone to on any, some of y'all might have gone on mission trips like Mexico or South America, and those are amazing trips. But because of the ease, relative ease of travel in some places, there are church groups in, in that, that go through those towns and countries quite a bit, especially during the summer when folks are out of school. So it's like one, you've been on these trips where one, one group will leave and it's almost like another one's coming right in behind them. You pass each other at the airport. That's fine. I'm just letting you know that that's not what it's like where your church family has gone. Where your church family has gone, the 300 or so kids there that now come to this care point, if you can imagine, just from everywhere, from all, they walk, they walk, some of them walk hours to get there just to get a meal. And in this case, to see some friends that have come from a long, long way away. They have no idea. They don't see, they don't watch television. See, they, they have no idea of the context of our lives. They just think all Americans are rich because we can come there. And they can't come here. They see the planes fly over and they know that those, those are some of the teams. So, um, when the, when, but when they come, it's, it's just so amazing because they don't have any, no other teams will visit them throughout the year. Okay, unless, unless you're, I mean, unless this team, some of these teams, some of this team might go back. Like they want a few of the people to go back and maybe teach some of the pastors. I may go if the Lord opens up the door to, to do that. But I'm just saying, like, like the trip that your team is on right now, this is it. This is their year. Okay. The kids that came to their care point and they had a great big celebration yesterday, they got to eat chicken. That's the only time they'll have meat all year long. All year. Okay. It's a big deal. And I, that's why I'm taking so long this morning to let you all know. Thank you. You know, there are some things. Can you imagine, can you imagine what, would, what, what our lives might look like if those early believers in Jerusalem or Antioch would have said, Oh, no, no, Paul. We got so many needs right around here. We can't be going all the way to to Asia, and we can't be going all the way down to Africa, North Africa. We can't go to those. There's so many needs around here. Well, it's not; those aren't mutually exclusive. I've been doing this a little while, and uh, I've known people to say. Well, man, what do we want to go on the other side of the world for when there's all these needs right around here? You know, honestly, looking at the people's lives that say that sometimes, truth is they're not doing it around here either. Because if they were, they'd want to share it someplace else most, most of the time. Okay? So I don't know anybody's heart here. I'm just saying, that's why Jesus said, be as witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. It's not one or the other. But it's as God opens up the door, it's all of it. You know, I, uh, I'm a person who really believes in the power of prayer. And I would hope, my wife Paige and I, when we make major decisions, 
We're going to pray about it. A lot of times when we're making decisions that people would think minor, we pray about it. We pray about a lot. And, uh, but there was, there's one thing, you won't hear me say this very much, by the way. But there's one thing you really don't have to pray about. And this is where it goes into, now, now, now I'm going to put on my Alabama Children's Home and Family Minister's hat, okay? Because they're, they're, they really, I'm glad it's this week because they, they overlap with, with orphan care and, and all that that your team is doing. And we don't have to pray about what God's word is already clear on. Okay? So people would, if, if, if we have an opportunity to care for orphans or widows, so I could say, well, let me just pray about that, Pastor. Why? You ain't got to pray about that. You don't have to pray about that, I'm telling you. We might have to pray about how, but not whether. Or what? Here's why. This ain't my text for the day. I'm going to just share, share it though. James 1.27 says, Pure and undefiled religion in the sight of God and Father is this. Now, man, you talk pure, 100%, bona fide, undefiled religion. And by the way, sometimes when we use religion, it's like religion. It's like it's kind of a bad connotation because we think of ritual or maybe something that going through the motions. No, no, no. In, in James's day, this is, the, these, this is a good thing he's talking about. He's talking about worship. Just substitute worship there if you want. Pure and undefiled worship, religion before God. Of all the things he could have mentioned, of all the good stuff, the preaching of God's word, the singing praises, witnessing. He could, have, he could have mentioned a lot of things. What's the one thing he chose? To visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. So, that's why I said that's one thing you, you ain't got to pray about. Because God's already said to do it. You just pray about the how. You know, um, a while back I heard the story about um, a couple that had been married about 50 years. It's a long time. Loved each other, but fussed and fought over everything. Argued over everything. Where are we going to eat? I don't care. And then one of them mentioned something. I don't want to go there. So it's, it's this all the time. Y'all, for 50 years this went on. So for their 50th anniversary, their kids gave them an anniversary present of a couple of counseling sessions with a marriage counselor, okay? So they went in the marriage counselor, they sat down in his office and, start, and they started in, a, tell me what's going on, and they started fussing, and they started arguing. And the counselor listened to that for a few minutes, and then without saying a word, he just pushed himself back from his desk, got up. He walked around to where they were sitting and he planted a kiss right on her lips. And then he looked at the older gentleman and he said, now, sir, she needs that three times a week. And he said, well, all right, doc, I'll bring her by on Monday, Wednesday and Friday. (laughs) And I like that story because there are some things that you just can't delegate to somebody else. And one of those things is discipling the next generation.
And I say the next generation and not just our kids because, you know, there are, there are a lot of grandparents that are discipling their kid, their grandkids because either their children can't or won't. One of the things that we see a lot in the children's home are grandparents now that are raising their grandkids. And many of them are, I meet people all the time that are adopting their grandkids because the parents are in prison or dealing with some sort of addiction all over our state. In the state of Alabama, there are about 6,000 children in the foster care system. And it's growing so fast that last year or so it was about, about 5,000. Now it's up to six. And it's growing so fast it's all we can do to even keep up with the count. Largely because of the addiction with opioids that our culture is just getting killed over. There's never been a more important time. Now, oh, by the way, of, of, of those 6,000 or so, we may touch... I mean, the children's home, in, by, by one of our foster homes or our group homes, or in some way, we may touch four to five hundred of those. We get referrals from people, referrals from, uh, from DHR through, I mean, we have, we have a state system. Thank the Lord that we have a state system. You don't hear me say this much either, but we have a state system that we can work with, y'all. And sometimes people have questions, well, do they let you do faith-based things? Do they let you make the kids go to church? Man, there are lots of states. The answer would be no to that. We can, we can do that unapologetically. And, and I'll share it with you like this. We just talk. They need us, okay? They need the services that we provide. And I'm sure that there may be some people in the system that kind of put up with the faith-based part of it. But for right now, they don't have much choice. And there's a lot going on, y'all. I don't even have time to get into it all. With pressure from, from, from Washington, from other states, bills that are being passed, bills that are being rejected. So we, we, we may not always be able to do what we do the way we do it. But I have heard over and over again, um, Rod Marshall, our CEO and president right now of Baptist Children's Homes, say over and over again, we will find a way to do what we do, whether we get support from the state or not. We'll find a way to do what we do. And the, way, the reason we can do that is because of the support of people like you and churches like yours. So thank you. Thank you for everything that you do. Thank you for the offering that you're going to give today. But thank you for your prayers. Thank you for the encouragement over the years that you provided, and I know we'll continue to. So what I like to do for the rest of our time is look at God's word and just, I want it to be a, a bigger picture than just what we're doing with the Alabama Baptist Children's Home. I'll share some things that we're doing and how we're doing it, okay? Because when it comes right down to it, even in our, even in our mission statement, it's to, you know, to, to, to protect and, and, and nurture and restore Alabama children and families through Christ-centered services. So, even doing this as a ministry, we're, we're making disciples. See, because we're, we're called not to delegate that to anybody else, right? And make disciples of kids that God puts in our home. But sometimes there's not that first line of defense. I'm going to share a couple of examples today, stories of some kids. They didn't have that. 
And so where they don't have it, maybe God places you in their world or me in their world to step in and be that second line of defense. When I was a kid, I don't know that I knew any of my friends who were being raised by their grandparents or who lived in a foster home or even had been adopted. And now you, you, you can't visit a class of any size hardly that some of those things aren't true. And fortunately, God's word is not silent about that either. So we're going to look at this Old Testament passage. Now this is, this is Moses. He's got a shot here of telling people what God expects from them in leading their homes to worship and follow him. So he's got this, he's got a major shot. This is what's most important to him. I'm going to share it and then we'll just bring out some calls to action, okay? Beginning down in, um, let's look at, let's start in, in verse 1. Let's just start at the top, verse, verse 1, chapter 6. We won't read the whole chapter, but, but here's how, how it goes. Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the judgments which the Lord your God has commanded me to teach you. That you might do them in the land where you are going over to possess. So this is them, they're getting ready to go into the promised land now. The land flowing with milk and honey. And he says, this is what God's expecting of you as you go. So that you and your son and your, and your grandson might fear the Lord your God to keep all his statutes and his commandments which I command you all the days of your life and that your days may be prolonged. O Israel, you should listen and be careful to do it that it may be well with you and that you may multiply greatly just as the Lord, the God of your fathers has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. And then he says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. And you shall love, and by the way, when Jesus was asked in the New Testament, what's the greatest commandment, this is the one he's repeating. This is the one, this is his go-to. Greatest one is, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Now, why did Jesus say that was the greatest? Because if we get that one right, then we got all the rest of them, okay? You get the root right and the fruit is what, it's, what it needs to be. We Sometimes we get it backwards. We look at the fruit. Why do I do this? And why do I do that? And why don't I do this? Why do, and so we try to make resolution. Well, I'm going to stop that. I'm going to start doing that. But it's hard to start the right thing and stop the wrong thing if we haven't loved the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, and might. See, because obedience is a love issue. Well, Jesus, I can prove it. What Jesus say? If you love me, you will what? Keep my commandments, right? So is obedience a matter of love? Of course it is. And that's why he says, love the Lord your God with everything you have. These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. And now this is where the next generation comes in. You shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. Would you all agree that that's pretty much all the time? Okay, You shall bind them, this is a strange thing, you'll bind them as a sign on your hand and, you sh- and, and they shall be as frontals on your forehead. I'll talk about what that is in a minute. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And then it shall come about when the Lord your God brings you into the land which he swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you. 
great and splendid cities which you did not build, and houses full of good things which you did not fill, and hewn cisterns which you did not dig, vineyards and olive trees which you did not plant, and you eat and are satisfied, then watch yourself that you do not forget the Lord who brought you from the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery. For you shall fear only the Lord your God and you shall worship him and swear by his name. Father, for these next few moments in our time together, would you please give us the right calls to action so that we can make a difference not only now but even in generations to come for the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen. So I want to share with you um, how, how, how serious I am about this. Um, your children, I'm, I'm glad we got some students here because they could, I think they verify much of what I'm, I'm going to say. Believe me, as important as it is for us to disciple the next generation, our kids need it and often want it. Listen to me now. Want it more than they let on that they do. They resist sometimes because, you know, it's hard. They're growing too. They've got this thing between the spirit and the flesh going on as well. When our daughter Janae, our only, we have three sons, one daughter. Uh, when she was a kid and wanted a cell phone, she was really young to want a cell phone. Especially back, back in the day, okay? We're talking about a long time ago. Like ancient 12 or 13 years, something like that. So she's probably in middle school. Her brothers didn't get a phone until they turned 16 and got a driver's license and were gone more and all that. Well, here's the truth. The truth is, she's our only daughter. I wanted her to have one because I didn't want her to be someplace I couldn't get her and she couldn't get me. But I didn't want her to know that I wanted her to have one that bad. And so I said, well, I'll tell you what, Janae, I will get you a phone if you let me record the greeting. Okay. Now, that's before everybody texted. They, they still called each other back then. Okay. So when you call, you got the voicemail greeting. And the deal was, I got to record that voicemail greeting. Well, she wanted a phone so bad. She said, oh, okay, daddy. And so I recorded it. I've got the transcript of what I recorded. Okay. I'm going to share with you exactly word for word what I put on her phone. So it, you, put, you called it. It voicemail. Hello. This is Janae's phone and this is Janae's dad. If you're a guy, hang up. She doesn't want to talk to you. If you're a girl, please leave a message unless you start to gossip or you start dogging other people. In that case, she doesn't want to talk to you either. So hang up. Uh, Thank you for calling. Have a great day. And that's exactly what you heard if you called her phone. And she fussed. She acted mad and all that. But I would catch her sometimes playing it for her friends. And that sent an early message to my daughter that I had her back. And that to, to get to her, they needed to go through me first. A daughter likes to hear that from her daddy. Now that may be extreme. She turned out okay. Don't leave discipling your kids up to somebody else. Ephesians 6, 4 says, Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up. Talking to dads, bring them up 
in the training and instruction of the Lord. So I'm going to give you just three calls to action. They partly come from this passage that they um, that I just read. Some from the New Testament, though, because we're New Testament people as well, right? So we want to give that context. So here they are, just one, two, three, real quick. Number one, teach them that there is only one God and his name is Jesus. Teach them that there's only one God and his name is Jesus. That's why in verse 3 and 4, it says, uh, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is, the Lord is one. And we say, well, it doesn't say about Jesus there. Nope, that comes from the New Testament because Jesus said, before Abraham was, I what? I am. He used the name of God. Um, John says in John chapter 1, that in the flesh, in the beginning was the Word. The Word became flesh, dwelt among us. He's talking about Jesus. So over and over again, there aren't multiple gods, there's only Jesus. So the reason that's important is recently, a terrible thing happened in South Alabama and there was, a, there was a really, really bad car wreck. And sometimes, you know, children come to us, like I said, because of incarceration or because of addictions, sometimes because of something else. So there was a mad, this, this car wreck, and it was two little kids, a boy and a girl, and their parents in the wreck, and the, both parents were killed. There was no family, no extended family, no immediate family. So, you, I mean, you, you can't just put kids anywhere, right? And so authorities called us, and they came to one of our uh, group homes. We started finding out a little bit about these children in their background, and their parents had taught them that there were multiple gods, and that they just at one point in time needed to choose the one that they wanted. Right here in Alabama. So we might think that the gospel is everywhere. No, it's not. But there's only one God, and His name is Jesus. And it used to be even you know I had a. Um, I grew up in the, uh, kind of, to me it's modern, I mean, you know, I mean, uh, 1962 is, in, in it was 62 and 63, they were, the Supreme Court moved the Bible reading and, and, and prayer from public schools. Well, I was in school in the 70s and I had a teacher that would read the Bible stories to us. But now, if you and I don't teach them, they won't hear it. Okay. You certainly don't want to trust religious broadcasting if you can find it. They're not going to hear it in school. They're not going to hear it from entertainment for the most part. So it needs to come from us. And when you change the life of a child with the gospel, it's not just that child, that life you're changing. You could be changing generations, especially as we invest in orphan care and foster care. Here's a quick story to share how that happens. Michael was a little guy that came to our mobile group home when he was six years old, about four years ago, okay? His dad had been incarcerated. His mom had given into addictions. Her, her life was just a, a mess. So he comes to our group home at six. The, the area um, director down there, his name's Dana, he's a guy, but he grew up at that, at that group home. Okay, his parents dealt with some of the same things. Mom was an addict. So he grew up in that home. Now he's over that home. He's an amazing guy. Well, he really took a liking to Michael because that's, that was him. And they became close. And, I mean, Michael had to deal with all kinds of issues. But he was basically a good kid. Long story short, he was adopted by, as it turned out, a family member. So he was going to go into a forever home. But right before that, 
he was saved because they take these children to church. His last Sunday at that church before he went to his home to be adopted, Dana baptized him in their church. (laughs) Can you imagine? Dana didn't know if he'd ever see Michael again. But the next Sunday morning, somebody taps Dana on the shoulder and he turned around it was Michael grinning from ear to ear and he had his whole new family with him who didn't attend that church, who didn't attend any church, but they've been there ever since. So in touching that one life, it's not just that life, it could be generations. So here's call to action number two. Create an environment in your home that glorifies the Lord. That's in verses six through nine. Look at the different ways. You'll, um, first of all, teach them, uh, teach them these words. And, and by our actions too, when you sit down, when you walk, when, he's talking about leading by example. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and shall be as frontals on your forehead. I, there may not be anyone in here that needs to hear this specifically, but I'm going to share it anyway because it's so true. Man, as a pastor, I've actually had parents, well-meaning parents, tell me, well, you know, our teenagers just decided, they're not, or our middle schooler or whatever has just decided that they don't want to come to church anymore. So we've decided to, to not make them because we don't want to turn them off to church. We don't want to turn them off to God. That's been repeated so much, it almost sounds good, but it's... It's ridiculous. Do we make, did you, when your kids were little, when your boys were little, did they like taking a bath? They always like going to school. They like going to the doctor. They like going to the dentist. Do you let them decide? What do you want to do? Turn them off against dentists? You want to turn them off against doctors? They say, I know it's better for them in this area more than they do. Of course. Because you're the parent. You're the grandparent. I want to say this, then we're going to move on and wrap it up. I've never known one person, not one, not one, to be turned against God because their moms and dads were godly people and carried them to church. Not one, not one. But I've known a few that turned away from the church or turned away from the Lord because their parents pretended to be somebody on Sunday and they weren't that person during the week. I've known a few of those. Psalm 1.1 says, How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. He meditates on it day and night. He's, he's like a tree firmly planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in its season and his leaf does not wither and whatever he does, he prospers. He prospers. And we didn't even read the middle part of that chapter, y'all. This is not, it's not just Sunday school language. This is in, this is the language of war. I mean, verses, um, uh, let's see, uh, let me read verse here you go, verse 20. When your, son's, when your son asks you a time to come, saying, um, what do the testimonies and the statutes and the judgments mean which the Lord our God commanded? Then you say, we were slaves to Pharaoh in Egypt, and the Lord brought us up out of Egypt with his mighty hand. 
Moreover, the Lord showed great and distressing signs and wonders before our eyes against Egypt, Pharaoh, and all household. He, that, this is war language because we are in a war over the hearts and minds of the next generation. 1 Peter 5, 8 says, Be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Here's the last action, and then we're, we're done. Model for them what it means to follow Jesus. That last verse, if you didn't watch, you might have missed it. It will be righteousness for us if we're careful to observe all this commandment before the Lord our God. So let's, let's talk about righteousness for a second. Because this is where Jesus comes in. Because righteousness is not just doing the right thing. Okay? Righteousness, this side, we sang about the cross earlier. So righteousness on this side of the cross is being changed. It's like my state, okay, my spiritual state is changed. I don't decide what I'm going to stop doing, what I'm going to start doing, and that makes me righteous. No. If, if, you, if you were to nail, if you were just to nail apples on one of these telephone poles outside and don't make it an apple tree and I can just stick all kinds of good deeds on me if I'm if I'm dead in my trespasses and sins it doesn't make me a follower of Jesus there's there needs to be a a birth to happen and when a birth takes place there's a new life that's made right before a baby before a child's born they're not out there somewhere hovering around in spirit form just and, and said, I just decide I want to be born. Oh man, there's no life there and, and God creates life. And so when we become righteous, it's not that we just become a better person. It's like we're, we're dead in our trespasses and sins and we confess uh, with our mouth, Jesus is Lord, believe in our heart, God raised him from the dead. We repent of those sins, we trust in him. And there's something that happened that made that possible. And what happened was the cross. And when Jesus gave his life on the cross, what became possible was that, that God now can take the righteousness that was on Jesus and just put it on us. That's what it means to be made into the image of Christ and only Jesus can do that. We got a, we had a, a, a teenage girl that was brought to our, our home in South Alabama whose name was Mary. It was such a sad story. Um, Mary, Mary, Mary lived with her biological mom. Didn't know where biological dad was. Like I said, she was an older teen. She was mad and she's bitter. Her mama would 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 take her who who was an addict herself but she would she would go around and get money from different people she knew so she could go and and get drugs and then she'd leave Mary sometimes with people for a week or two weeks and Mary wouldn't know where she was and she'd just show up one day and pick her up again they'd go somewhere else when the, when the authorities brought her to our group home Mary said that she was staying with she called them aunts and uncles they weren't any kin to her they were just people her mama knew and and they they didn't even they didn't even call her by her name. A lot of them didn't know her. They called her that girl. Sometimes her mom to be mean would call her that girl. Can you imagine your mom not even using your name? Mary, ironically, didn't even, to some people she didn't look like a girl. She they shaved her head because she had sores on her head because of abuse that wouldn't heal up. So they'd shave her head, and she's kind of she was kind of big. 
So a lot of people thought she was a guy. So here's what happens. She brings, she comes into this home. People just started loving her like Jesus would. Just loving her, teaching her that God knew her name. Reading out of, can you imagine your, your, your mama calling you not even by your name and then you hear in Isaiah that God's got your name written on the palm of his hands. That's what she heard. She was invited to a D-Now weekend with some of the girls in the home. Mary was saved that weekend. Radically changed. Immediately. So a few weeks later, she's baptized in the local church there. And, and Kim, the, the, the social worker that was telling me this story, Kim, who'd really taken Mary under her wing, went to the church to watch Mary be baptized. It was a big celebration. It was a big deal. Mary's getting baptized. So she goes into this church and Kim tells me less. She said, I, I got worried because I went and met the pastor of this church and she said, now Mary's a big girl and this pastor was a little fella. I didn't think he could pull it off. She said, straight up, I, I, thought, he, I thought Mary may take them both under the water. <laughs> and so they were back there trying to teach Mary how to bend her knees and go straight down so she didn't take, her, take them both down. So she's sitting on the steps of the baptistry. There Mary is, she's got her white robe on and Kim is sitting next to her and she could tell something was bothering Mary. She said, Mary, what's wrong? She, was miss, she said, Miss Kim, you know what she was thinking about? Not the little preacher, not the water was going to be cold, not everybody being paying attention to her. She said, what are you thinking about, Mary? She said, I'm thinking about my mama. She hadn't seen her mama in forever. Didn't know where she was. But she wasn't angry. But she said, Miss Kim, I don't want to be mad at my mom. She said, my mom hurt me, but I hurt my mom. She said, the reason she does all that, Miss Kim, is my mom just don't know Jesus. And she said, this is a great day for me. But she said, I, I just want my mom to be saved. <laughs> okay, so when Kim told me that story, I just couldn't help but think, where does that come from? Well, I know where it comes from. It comes from righteousness. So could I ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes, please? Here's the invitation for today. In fact, let's go ahead and stand if we could. <clears throat> We're going to have a hymn of response. I'm going to be down front if anybody wants to come and um, make some sort of commitment public or if you want to come for prayer. Um, you just do what God leads you to do. It may be that God puts somebody, a, a, has a burden on your heart. You may want to pray that somebody is saved like Mary's mom. You may have somebody in your family that mom and dad might have forsaken them. David, David said, even if my mom and dad forsake me, God, you will never forsake me. Maybe God's prompted you to, to reach out in some way. I, I, don't, I don't know what he might. I don't want to plant a bunch of thoughts. You just whatever, whatever God tells you to do in your heart, you do it today. So Father, we're, we're listening now to you, Lord. Thank you so much for speaking to us through your word. Father, thank you for the blessing that we have. I pray, Lord, that you'll help us to share that blessing with others. In Jesus' name, amen. Mm-hmm.